0: Hey folks, it's Jared. Matt Hippel is making his triumphant return as host this week, and he's talking with Captain Edward Bartlett about his proposal to bring Navy shipbuilding to northern Ohio. Matt edited and produced this episode. Finally, I want to take the opportunity to recommend our partners in the Simsec Podcast Network, the Bilge Pumps. You can find Alex, Jamie, Drack, and a pile of iron brew bottles wherever you download your podcast. And with that, Kimber's men. you're listening to Sea Control, hosted by the Center for International Maritime
1: Security. Welcome to a special Northern Ohio edition of Sea Control podcast. I am your former host, long lost and returned, Matthew Hippel. Putting our interview in context today. Our battle force numbers are in a state of crisis. However, those numbers hide a greater problem when it comes to the supporting shipbuilding and repair infrastructure, the trained manpower that supports and grows its sustainment. From San Francisco to Charleston, urban development has long displaced our abandoned shipyard and repair facilities, but merchant marine Captain Bartlett, Cold War submariner and entrepreneur at the head of Bartlett Maritime Corporation Has a solution, rekindling a small piece of the Rust Belt's Great Lake shoreline to its maritime glory with the Lordstown Lorraine project. Sir, thanks for joining us on the Sea Control podcast today.
0: Thanks for having me. Great to be with you, Matt.
1: So, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you or your project, if you would just introduce yourself and how that has informed you on this path to the Lordstown Lorraine project. Maybe a strategic vision of what that project is.
0: Sure, as you mentioned, I'm a, an old coal warrior. During the Cold War, I served on three attack submarines: the Burgall, the La Jolla, and the uh, Gato. La Jolla I was a member of the pre commissioning unit, and uh, of course, you're in San Diego. You, you're familiar with what the, the name means: a village in San Diego. So I was uh, pleased to take the ship around through the Panama Canal, and it was originally homeported in San Diego. Eventually it moved out to Pearl, completed its service, and has now been converted. And it's part of the uh, nuclear power school in Charleston, South Carolina as a training vessel. So three SSNs. I also served on a submarine tender, which was my, quote, shore duty tour. Of course, we deployed during my shore duty tour to uh, to the Med. 1985, I was gone the entire year, two deployments, one on uh, Fulton and one on, uh, one on Gato. Fulton, by the way, was a participant in the Battle of Midway. Uh, anybody associated with the Navy knows what that was. And it was a brand new ship back then, commissioned in 1939. And I was serving on it in the 1984-85 timeframe. The ship that had the most impact and why we're doing this was the Gato. The Gato was the last of the Thresher-class ships. We lost Thresher during sea trials. It was the lead ship of the class, 63. I served on it in 85-86. When I served on it, it was the last one commissioned, the last one decommissioned, had a great career. And, in fact, on the deployment I went on with it, it had a uh, an outstanding deployment. We brought back a muck. But the ship was getting ready for its final shipyard period. To put a long story short, we had to fight the ship almost as much as we had to fight our adversary in terms of executing the mission. We almost sank a couple times. Uh, obviously, we did not. We uh, you know, operated the ship safely at 594 Tough is a thing among among submariners uh, for people that are veterans of that very difficult class. Uh, maintenance was burned in my soul as being so important with my service on Gato. Later on, after I left the Navy, worked at electric boat, and then uh, led the design of Virginia-class submarine, the initial conceptual design. Then later on, I went off and rescued a business that was failing, making equipment for uh, all Navy ships. We had equipment on every every ship you've sailed on. We had equipment on the uh, Cutler Hammer motor controllers were uh, made in my factory in Milwaukee. I, you know, left all that. And uh, went. I was an entrepreneur and in 2018, when GL report 19-229 was issued and published publicly, let everyone know the sad state of the maintenance of our submarine force. I just decided, damn it, if no one else is going to fix the problem, I guess I'm going to have to. So that's what started me off on this project.
1: I'll give the scene setter for everyone. For those of you not from Ohio, Lorraine is a little bit west of Cleveland. It is the former home of Republic Steel, or sorry, U.S. Steel, though somebody got the Republic Steel brand name, and there is a roller plant out there. Cleveland was LTV. Most of that industry fell apart, so you've got some rail yards. You've got connection down to Lordstown, which is the uh, Naval Depot in your business plan. We're looking at Rust Belt, access to Lake Erie, some heavy industry and, you know, middle-level industry, some specialty machining that remains up there. So what is the project? Kind of describe your vision for the Lorraine Lordstown project and, and why they're so connected. Because we're not just talking about one facility, we're talking about a a system of systems, if you will, uh, to use the lingo.
0: Right. the the The, the, the initial concept started out, with the realization that we needed more dry docks for uh, nuclear-powered ships, and we therefore needed another repair shipyard. Since we closed so many shipyards with the BRAC in the early, uh, at the end of the Cold War in the 1990s, they attempted to actually close another one in 2005. Fortunately, it was not closed. But we've only got four naval shipyards for, to repair these ships, and all the aircraft carriers and submarines are repaired all there. So not enough. We'll build another shipyard. And then through consultation with the Navy, they talked to us about accelerate the time in the dry dock, reduce that time. They wanted to outsource the repair of the major components to a centralized location. And so we looked and did a lot of research and decided that Lordstown was about the best centralized location you're going to get. It's on the Ohio Turnpike, very easy access to all three of the naval shipyards stateside, plus also to Oakland to get you out to Pearl Harbor on the mats and uh, lines. Bottom line, Lordstown is a great location. Uh, Lordstown had just lost the GM factory. So it looked like a good place to us. And it was, that area is very good with this kind of work. It became a second facility. Since we started, uh, we also have come to realize in fact in the last three or four months that the Navy's construction program is also significantly behind. If you look at the authorization dates for the Virginia class submarines, and their original build dates, we actually should have received out of new construction, three more ships by now than we've received. We're behind on deliveries by three ships. We're supposed to be getting two a year, we've been buying two a year. And since 2011, when we started ordering two a year, we're behind three ships on deliveries. So the construction side has got challenges as well. And then when you layer in the Columbia class, which has to be done for strategic defense, that even accelerates the challenge on the construction side. So we're actually going down a visit with the Navy uh, in a week or so, and we're going to be talking to them about <clears throat> initially starting with supporting the construction work in the Lorraine site and supporting the component repairs to accelerate uh, overhauls with the Lordstown site, with the op with the option at the Navy's desire to put the dry docks and the shipyard in at Lorraine, still gonna employ same number of people. And in fact, if we eventually do put the dry docks into Lorraine, that'll be even more people employed. The Lorraine site is gonna initially focus on construction support for the ships under contracted build. And when we're talking about construction support, we're talking about building sub-assemblies of as much as 300 tons each that getting, then get loaded into the hulls. And, and then on the component side, major components like pumps, valves, hydro- uh, hydraulic power plants, Uh, propulsion shafts have to be inspected every time the ship goes in dry dock requires specialized equipment plus the navy is interested in foundries and forges one of our team members is an expert in that area so if they want more foundries and forges we'll build them more foundries and forges it's what the navy wants what the navy needs to accelerate the program and fortunately because of our location in ohio the two advantages we've got that aren't existing elsewhere is number one We've got a re- ready, robust workforce up here, whereas on the coast, you don't have the people who work in the shipyards. They're desperate for shipyard workers on the coasts. Now, we're going to have to train our people fine, but the blue-collar um, skilled trades people are available in good numbers in Ohio who think we're going to have an easy workforce to train up and, and work. The second thing, Ohio has an industrial revenue bond program, which actually makes the financing of this thing. Very convenient and easy for us and very affordable for the Navy. Uh, We're talking about building billion dollar, multi-billion dollar facilities within whatever the Navy decides on that are affordable within the current Navy budget top line because of the way it's financed over a long period of time. So that's kind of the vision. Affordable, actionable, no need for legislation. It's already approved in legislation. Answers the mail with regard to where are the people available to do the jobs. So it
1: sounds like we're already on the path to success. So the Navy has committed to... um, They haven't committed.
0: We're still working with them, trying to
1: get them to commit. Got it. So even even for the construction component, that is under development. Okay. Understood.
0: We could be, if they decide to go, we can actually be in production, both for new construction support and repair support, as early as the first quarter of next calendar year in a limited way while we build the facilities using temporary facilities.
1: So I think we, I was about to ask why Northeast Ohio? Now I know why, because I'm from Cleveland, <laughs> but the listeners don't, I think you've answered that question uh, talking about uh, a lot of the workforce that's available. Uh, some of the industrial facilities talk about rail lines, but for the workforce, some folks on Twitter, uh, when we, we're talking about this, this project noted, especially our our said, hey, listen, man, I'm a specialty. I'm a specialty. Now, great. I'm glad you guys have Swedgelock and Materion and all these other cool guys or public steel up there in Northern Ohio. But what I do is a specialty. And that's absolutely right. I noticed in your business plan that you've already got the AFL-CIO on board. The Lorraine Community College is on board. I assume these folks are going to take part in some of that specialty training if Absolutely. you could speak to that training strategy because shipyard work is very different than a lot of the plant work and manufacturing that we're used to up north
0: even for somebody that's uh, an experienced tradesman they're going to require training and so we're, we're going to have an apprentice school we're starting with like we're also partnering with Lincoln Lecter which is a Cleveland company in welding and the welding equipment and welding training and so we're going to start with a sixteen week apprentice schoolhouse program, basic skills, and then understanding about working on Navy ships, quality requirements, particular submarine requirements, whatever. And then we'll have an, an apprentice program to work through just like the shipyards have. Uh, we expect there'll be some churn. There always is, but the ship the shipyards, Newport News V and the four naval shipyards, have been having to hire three people to get one person in the program, you know, to be a productive worker at the end of the day. Uh, we think we'll have much less churn than that. You know, this is a much better environment. The cost of living is lower here. And, uh, you know, we're going to pay competitively. So these will be tough jobs. But they'll be hard jobs with our partnership with the union and the schools and working with the Navy, working with the other shipyards. We think that we'll be able to uh, uh, train up our workforce and, uh, and get going in a, in a good fashion.
1: Long range vision, we're talking about submarines now, but once you build this industrial base, both in material and skill sets and the institutions, local institutions being bought into this process, what do you see as the future? Is this a, a sub-specialty? Not a sub-specialty, sorry. <laughs> Is this special. a submarine specialty uh, facility or do you envision a broader project of engaging with you know, the Constellation class or Coast Guard cutters and other platforms uh, that can get through the St. Lawrence Seaway, which we will discuss next. That will be our next okay. question. But that one on hold, though.
0: This is the, the easy answer to this is the nature of our financial structure is that the Navy will end up owning these facilities at the end of the day. Whatever the Navy wants to work on is what we'll work on. Quick answer to an easy problem. The nature of the way the laws we're using to make this work, the Navy ends up owning it. So at a low cost and affordable cost. So
1: well, that's fascinating. I I did not know the component where these would be Navy yards, so I'm even more excited. But before we get too excited, there is the Saint Lawrence Seaway. So for those that are unaware of the uh, Niagara Falls, uh, it, it sits between uh, Lake Erie and the rest of the ocean. Um, thankfully, someone dug a big old channel uh, to get us past it. Problem is, it's uh, 26 feet deep at its shallowest point and 78 feet wide. Submarine's not going to chug all by itself through that. So with a sub that's 34 feet wide, you've got about 15 feet of space on either side. What's the Bartlett solution to the St. Lawrence channel and getting these big heavy nuclear subs through that tiny space.
0: Well, this is part of the reason why we're actually deferring the drydox part until we prove out this piece. But we've submitted a patent application for something called an ocean-going transit carrier. It is a modification of an existing vessel design called an articulated tug barge. Our friends up at Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin, Ben Cantieri, make these. They're the largest manufacturer of these in the United States. They're used to transport, typically, petroleum products along the ocean coasts, you know, up and down the East Coast, West Coast, the United States, Gulf Coast, United States, ATBs are everywhere. And these ATBs um, are very safe and very seaworthy, transport petroleum. We're just going to change the design of the barge a little bit to pull this up, if to use it with the submarine, to pull the submarine in, lift it up a little bit, and then just drive it up. But in the early days, assuming we proceed with the manufacturing support first, We'll build the same vessel and use that to transport the sub-modules. So we're talking about 300-ton module. You use that same system, drop it into an insert in the transit carrier and just take it through the seaway. And, you know, we're like 550, 600 feet up from the ocean, so we've got to go down through this series of locks around Niagara Falls and then up around um, Montreal, which is at sea level. We don't think that's going to be a problem. We think the vessel's going to be – uh, very robust. The uh, Fincantieri is very satisfied with the idea. Uh, there are critics, you know, you can find critics of anything, uh, but we'll prove this thing out. We're comfortable that it's going to work. And by starting with construction support, we can prove this thing, transporting 300 ton sub modules before anybody wants to transport a ship. If in fact, they do want to transport a ship.
1: What's the cost? What's the timeline? Because of course, if your dry dock requires these vessels, we talked about a a testing period, but we got to build them first. Mm -hmm. And then, because you mentioned earlier that these yards would be Navy owned, does that mean these OGTCs would also become Navy vessels? Interesting.
0: They would be over, at the end of the 30 years, they would be owned by the Navy. They would be paid for with the same funding approach that's be paid for the facilities because they're part of the equipment required to make the facilities work. The Ohio bond program allows us to use the you know, secured bonds for any facilities and the equipment required to make it function. These things are about uh, $150 million each kind of thing, uh, tug and barge, maybe a little bit more because of customization work. We haven't gone through the full rigorous uh, cost assessment, but it'll be paid for under the same thing so it doesn't have to come out of SCN, comes out of the, uh, out of the facility cost which, once again, it gets amortized over a long period of time. And we would operate them with SIVMAR uh, crews, kind of like the MSC. And at the end of the day, when the Navy finally takes ownership of it, at the end of the program, they probably would give them to MSC or Charter mod. I don't know what they want to do with them. But, uh, you know, be very conventional and uh, operate as uh, Jones Act Merchant Marine Vessels. Critical path.
1: What are the major tasks or barriers that you have remaining to at least start the module component of the work and proving out the OGTC?
0: Well, this is what we're going to be talking to the Navy about uh, in a week or so. The critical path, we call it phase one. We've partnered with, uh, we've retained, partnered with Goldman Sachs on our financial strategy side. We've got a bunch of financial guys on our team. We need to develop a um, comprehensive program plan with the Navy's input and active involvement, because you can't go price this thing until you know exactly what the Navy, we've got two sites set out, but we know exactly what they want the facilities to have for capabilities. We've got general ideas. We've got everything laid out, but do they want a foundry? Okay. If you want a foundry, what kind of foundry do you want? You want a steel foundry? You want a brass foundry? You want a nickel, nickel foundry? What kind of foundry? And what type of castings do you want to do? And if you want to forge, once again, where are you going to forge? That has a big impact on the way you design it. We have a six-month phase one program we've proposed. During that program, we will define the facilities. We will develop the program plan from there based on the definition of the facilities. And we will also work with our friends at Goldman, with our friends at the state of Ohio, and our friends at the Navy to put together this three-way public-private partnership proposal which has to be approved both by the state and by the uh, navy and then once phase one ends we'll submit a formal proposal to the navy to do the facilities formal proposal to the state for the financing which will be mirrors of each other developed together everybody will be working on it together and then once that's approved we can go start sell the bonds and then start the start the project and uh, start acquiring facilities start acquiring equipment and uh, get going. And that's why we could get going. This is a six-month program. So if they start now in early 2023, we'll have bond money available to buy equipment to use in temporary facilities to start doing production work early while we build the permanent facilities. So that's kind of the timing. Step one is this preliminary planning. Everything, as you know, in the Navy, you got to plan everything. You got to have specifications. You got to know exactly what you want. Because when you're talking about something with big dollars around it, everybody has to know exactly what they're going to get and what it's going to cost so I've been around the block quite a few times with this, so has my team. you know I've got retired admirals on my team, a couple of retired captains, retired shipyard executives, uh, retired n r people. We know what we're doing here, but we need to work with the navy to de- to define exactly what they want
1: so if all goes well, it sounds like your timeline envisions roughly a 2024 2025 execution on module work to prove the concept then if the 2023 is when the mon- bond money becomes available would you say that's well, uh
0: go ahead yeah it'll be it'll be about 2 years to get the facilities up to full speed you know we'll start building for instance a transit carrier right away cuz once we start building the, the modules then we're we'll transporting them by the seaway so all of it falls in it all be planned out in the 6 months so A start to actual work in 23, a completion of the facilities, maybe the end of 24, but we'll be ramping up in terms of volume of throughput by then. And then somewhere along the line, the Navy can decide that they want the shipyard part, the dry docks part or not. They can make that choice. um, And we'll go from there. But clearly, I mean, if you listen to the congressional hearings the last few weeks, the Navy admits that, number one, Submarines are their first priority. And number two, we need more industrial capacity and throughput. And the only way you're
1: going to get that is you got to build out the infrastructure. For the listeners, I want to hone in on that that timeline. So, even in this scenario where we have someone such as yourself with a vested personal interest in sub repair in the general state of the Navy, we're looking at a timeline really where you're getting ramped up on a partial version of this vision only two to three years before that Davidson window in 2027. So when folks in Congress, when folks in industry, when folks in the Navy talk about solving this capacity issue, there's no more time to wait. There's no more divest to invest. It's it's time to start investing to invest right now. There's no more time to
0: fool around.
1: Right. the, The types of projects that we envision This your timeline is one in which a significant amount of the foundation has been laid. And now it's on on everybody else to draft like they do in NASCAR right behind.
0: Not only do we have to worry about the Davidson window, which you could also say is the Richard window, which uh, also you could say is Mary Kissel's window. She was Mary Kissel, former State Department leader. uh, Same sort of thing. We've got to worry about China. But the other problem we've got is the Columbia class. The Ohio's are going to time out. Now Admiral Papano the other day uh, in a talk that came out said he was thinking about extending five, five of the Ohio's that may be required just because it's going to take that long to get the Columbia built, but these are already at 42 years. That's a record time for a submarine. You're going to extend them another year or two. That's a really big deal. That's an engineering challenge. The bottom line is we're past the time of fooling around. You know, when I started this three years ago, is when we should have really gotten serious about it. Unfortunately, it's
1: taken this long to get where we're at. We're talking a lot about the Navy, capital T, capital N. A lot of us deck plate guys, right, I just came out of my department head tour, our encounters with the program officers are are often minimal. So when you say the Navy, who is it that well, engages we've been with you. To? I know it's going to be an eye chart if you describe the entire thing, but if you could give us a little insight into the kinds of organizations that you have to coordinate with to get this project up and running.
0: The principal point of uh, interest is the program executive office for both attack submarines and for strategic submarines POSSN, POSSPN. Admiral Goggins on the attack side, Admiral Capano on the strategic side. And then because of nuclear power, and because NR is NR, we have to deal with Naval Reactors. NR is, NR is a very important organization within the Navy, and it's a source of great success for submarines and aircraft carriers. So not a negative statement at all. I mean, I've been dealing with Naval Reactors since, you know, I taught at nuclear power school. I mean, my whole life, my
1: whole career. I don't think you need so, a
0: caveat. I think they know. I don't think they're coming to get you. No, they know. I've been around the block with them a few times. So there's Naval Reactors. There's PEOs. But we've also been dealing with uh, the ASN level, and we've been dealing with the secretary's office as well. It's right up and down the chain.
1: A major component of your business plan is the statement, collaboration, not competition. Some folks out there are saying, hey, listen, the shipyards that we have now, they have more capacity. They can execute. The Navy's not talking right with industry. Other folks are saying some folks in industry are looking to maintain some of that monopoly. What are some of well, the barriers there? And maybe discuss that collaboration, not competition phrase. Sure.
0: Well, we've been talking to, for instance, Portsmouth Naval Shipyard is the partner we want to have because they're the going to be closest to us and that they folk, they feature and work on primarily attack submarines. Uh, of the four naval shipyards, they're the closest to what we want to be. Uh, and we t- we look to be smaller than they are. We've talked to both Electric Boat and Newport News, the two commercial shipyards, and they're both looking to outsource Significant manufacturing support, and they're both interested in us working with them to help them build attack submarines, Columbia missile submarines. And Newport News Guy even said, Hey, could you build some carrier stuff? That would be our third priority for us. But we do whatever the Navy wants us to do. Um, yes, there are some in the Naval shipyards that feel like uh, we're, we're going to try to replace them, not at all. The Navy's own analysis, our analysis. The GAO's analysis, Congressional Budget Office did an analysis. Uh, we first started talking to Dr. Eric Labs over at the Congressional Budget Office. I've known him for years. He's their Navy analyst. And I called him up about a year ago and said, I'd like to brief you on this plan as we started to roll it out more publicly. And we showed it to him and he says, Geez, we're working on a study on this. Can we reference your stuff? I said, Well, it's not quite ready to be released publicly. But the long and the short, he issued a report in March of 2021, which in summary came to the same conclusions we did with regard to how many, man, what the manpower shortage is in the naval shipyards versus what we came to the conclusion, same conclusion. So we are working with the naval shipyards. We are working with EV and Newport News. We're not trying to put anybody out of business. You know, think of it this way. In the 80s, when I was out there, we were buying five submarines a year. In the 90s, when I was designing Virginia at Seawolf and then Virginia, we ordered three new submarines in an entire decade. In the 2000s, we ordered one submarine a year. And since 2011, we've been ordering two submarines a year and haven't been able to deliver them. And we haven't been able to maintain the ships that are in the fleet. And now we got to put Columbia on top of that. Plus, the submarines we're going to build going forward have got this extra 84 foot and four extra missile tubes in them, or even more complicated the so called Vpm Virginia payload Module submarines, all objective evidence clearly points to the fact that we need to expand the industrial base, and we 're late to get to it
1: so barriers we discussed the upcoming barriers, but we've just as we 've run into barriers with folks accepting that there is a crisis in our battle force numbers that there is a crisis in our uh, in our industrial base. Folks insisting that things are all right. I'm sure there are also barriers, as there are to all those other topics, to your project, since your project is rooted in the realization of a number of these factors. What have you found to be the biggest barriers and let's throw out there the greatest enablers so far to the Lordstown Lorraine project?
0: There are some that believe that we should not be growing the military right now. That, you know, if you look at the administration's budget cementals last year and then this year uh they've basically been a small growth but not as much as inflation so actually a net reduction in size of military spending and our proposal results in new facilities for the industrial base for the submarine force but then again at the same time they say they want to grow the submarine force so you know a must equal b kind of thing so there are some folks that don't understand philosophically and Defense is not the top priority of this administration. I'll just put it that way. They have other things that are their key priorities that they were elected on. So those are kind of getting people's attention issues. With regard to support, uh, our our great partners and our great team and the fact that the local environment here, the mayors of both facilities, both Village of Lordstown, City of Lorraine have been very supportive. The AFL-CIO has been very supportive. The local politicians local and the congressional representatives and senators have been very, very supportive. It's just getting down to the point now where reality is, is struck. And, you know, if not us, okay, what's the answer? You need more infrastructure. This is the lowest cost way to do it and the fastest way to bring it online because of all of our advanced work. So if you don't like us, what are you going to do? It's simple as that.
1: Uh, what I like about your concept is that it really it makes sense from a bipartisan standpoint right it's not just military growth but focusing on maritime infrastructure uh, you're looking at public private partnerships right that's yep. that's probably a, a conservative talking point build usa is very much of both sides bipartisan talking point you're looking at union growth and skill sets and education stuff for red stuff for blue inside there but focusing on the infrastructure side uh, I think is is the winning goal, as well as um, if it wasn't for the fact that Northern Ohio is such an excellent environment for these facilities, but the fact that the Erie Coast, from you know Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, that's a number of congressional de- delegations that could have their populations benefit and also have an interest in uh, in naval growth. So there's political benefits to the Navy. There's benefits to local population benefits economically so it's really a win-win across the board uh this is for not red or like blue this, this is blue right. and gold bingo <laughs> blue and True. gold, man not red and blue it's blue haze gray
0: haze gray all the way or in, in subclass wow, mostly and black. black and don't come back <laughs> in submarine
1: well i come back uh, yeah, big and black and you're gone a long time <laughs> perfect well captain Barley, we are hitting that 30 minute mark here I appreciate you coming on, talking about the Lordstown Lorraine Project as both a naval officer and a son of the great state of Ohio. It makes me very excited. Uh, But before we close out, leave an open floor to you. Is there anything that you we haven't talked about that you'd like to pass to the audience?
0: I'd just like to say that I appreciate your uh, interest. And uh, I will tell you that there are there are a lot of uh, mid-grade officers like yourself that have actually contacted us independently both submarine people as well as uh, folks like yourself that have contacted us to express support. In fact, somebody in the engineering duty community that I've interfaced with on this project just contacted me this afternoon. We're getting a lot of encouragement up and down the chain, including at the four-star level. This needs to happen. We're looking forward to getting it done, and we certainly appreciate your
1: interest and your support. And we appreciate your interest and support as well, sir. So... This has been the Sea Control Podcast coming to you live virtually from Northern Ohio and San Diego. Captain Bartlett, thank you. And uh, if the audience is interested, where can they go to learn more about the Lordstown Lorraine project other than the AFL-CIO website where if you Google Lordstown Lorraine, your business plan PDF shows up. So that's another hookup to the audience easy way to find out a lot of really detailed programmatic information about this project.
0: We have our, our website is Bartlett com. Our other website is American com. takes you to the same place. And for anybody's interested in our progress, we have a subscribe button at the bottom where if you fill that out, all of our press releases and blog posts, you'll get copies of it sent to you. So I anticipate that once this podcast comes out, we're going to send it out to everybody in the, uh, on our subscription list. A lot of support looking forward to uh, doing this. And uh, I look forward to meeting you in person. Yes, sir.